All right, January 20, 120, 2023. Here we are at Common Sense Ohio at the roundtable. We got Brett and Norm from Circle, or Brett from Circle 270, <laughs> Norm from Racing Around the World. Did we just I'll hand just off call. our jobs? I'm circling too. We're already having fun here at Common Sense Ohio, and we're going to have a fun show. So if you want to check out Common Sense Ohio, you just go to commonsenseohioshow.com. All the past episodes, easily accessible right there. Ways to subscribe, easily accessible right there. All you got to do is point and click. You know, it's funny, in this world, I was talking to somebody else who does a podcast down here, records Brett, and he's he's sort of lamenting it's like even this even like the tech people are still like how do i subscribe to a podcast what do i do it's like there's this hurdle and i i was on the other side of the hurdle at one time i didn't understand it um and of course now i do so we don't call it a podcast we call it a show a show so as soon as you call it a show all you have to do is listen and how do you listen you just go to commonsenseohioshow.com and click and listen and by the way if you want to subscribe if there's any question whatsoever on how you do that you just click subscribe and it's easy um so beyond that, we are accepting sponsors. We've got a couple lined up already, and uh, we're sort of uh, outlining the format on how we're going to uh, incorporate sponsorships and, and segments, et cetera. So if you want on the if you want in on the fun, uh, look us up. Send us an email at info at commonsenseohioshow.com, and uh, we'll hook up and uh, and talk it through. So without further ado, there's lots of stuff going on in Ohio. We're going to talk commonsensically about it. And uh, maybe even a few things that uh, that are related outside Ohio. So we'll see. Uh, you know, householders is a big story of the day. I don't know if we want to go there or if we want to start somewhere else, Norm. Well, that yeah, that is huge. Uh, so uh, householder, uh, as well as the um, his uh, co-defendant uh, in the case, um, is it? Borga? What's the guy? What? I, I, you know, I don't know if I've heard it pronounced yet or not either. Yeah, the other um, guy. The, the, yeah. the, so, yep. so there's two of them uh, in the same trial. Uh, it's down in Cincinnati. Uh, I think jury selection is today. Mm-hmm. Um, $60 million is what the feds are alleging that was given to his pack using 501c4 dark money. Uh, journalists like to call it dark money. But basically what it is, is after the Citizens United Supreme Court case, um, uh, corporations were allowed, are allowed currently, uh, as a result of that case, to make unlimited uh, campaign donations, just as labor unions were always allowed to do uh, preceding that. And so the case basically came down to uh, corporations are people, um, and uh, previously people had had the uh, limits lifted. Uh, it used to be two thousand bucks was the maximum that was lifted, and the Supreme Court said, "Well, if you're lifting it for human people, you have to lift it for corporate people as well." Essentially, is the outcome. So, a company called First Energy. Um, which operates two nuclear power plants in the state of Ohio. Um, one's up in Toledo, right? Uh, there, one in Cleveland, one in Toledo. Yeah. Uh, David yeah. Bessie and uh, Davis Bessie and I'm going to forget the other one, but it's uh, it's on the coast up there where, you know, you need water for the cooling systems like Fukushima. Like a lot of these power plants, they're near a body of water, Three Mile Island, you know, obviously. Um you know, amid uh, a river. And the idea is, you know, you, you, you're boiling water to power turbines with uh, nuclear generated heat. So at any rate, they're, um, they're the owners of these two very long in the tooth, uh, needing maintenance and needing at some point to be shut down and sealed old nuclear power plants. And as everybody knows, the United States isn't really licensing and building a, a, a lot of new, new nuclear power plants. So, which is a whole discussion on its own. That's, that's, a, that's whole, a huge mistake. Huge because, mistake. Yeah, uh, big. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you yeah. don't, if you don't want to pollute, right? You know, you don't want to burn coal. It's the cleanest. It's it's the it's yeah. the most efficient, cleanest way. If you don't want to use fossil fuels, now I we right. can talk about that too. But and we can talk about wind farms and what they do a, a and bunch all of that, nonsense, all that nonsense, uh, solar and, and whatever. But at any rate. Uh, 
they um, urged passage of what is called House Bill 6. I like the word urged. (laughs) (laughs) And they urged it. Isn't that the case? (laughs) Yeah. They they urged it with uh, up to around $100 million uh, in total effort, 60 million of which is alleged to have gone into a pack that Larry Householder controlled. And they're calling it a bribe. Obviously, he's saying it was nothing of the kind, that it was a legal contribution. The problem is, just like in prostitution cases, the problem is that the Johns aren't being prosecuted, but the prostitute and the pimp are. So um, the prostitute perhaps being Larry Householder, uh, the pimp being the lobbyist who is his co-defendant, and um, First Energy turns state's evidence. So they're not being prosecuted for this bribe in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the former CEO re- resigned in disgrace or was fired, whatever, Chuck Jones. With a golden parachute, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, sure, yeah. government money. So first in part. First yeah. Energy, you know, will be amongst the witnesses uh, against him. So will his own staff people. So we'll see what, how this trial unfolds, but it's going to be, um, if convicted, it will be the largest corruption bribery case in Ohio history. So mm-hmm. th- this is uh, sort of near and dear to my heart. I do defend people accused of crimes for a living. This is a federal trial down in Cincinnati. Um in their district court. And uh, Dave DeVille is the former U.S. attorney sitting here in uh, the Southern District, Eastern Division of Ohio, uh, had a press conference when all this first broke. It was a big federal investigation and uh, got a lot of fanfare. Uh, a lot of this is going to come down to uh, people's intent, um, whether that was criminal intent. Because, you know, you, if I'm defending the case, I don't know the facts of the case in, in the nuanced way I would need to know to really defend, really give you my uh, breakdown of it. I might do a legal breakdown on it, but uh, that, that would be later in my other show. But but here, my big picture, mile-high analysis is this notion of quid pro quo. Everybody sort of cringes when they hear that, like it's bad. But everything we do day in and day out is quid pro quo. If I pay you, like if somebody pays me to use my studio, there is a quid pro quo. They pay me to use the studio in an exchange. I give them time in the studio and let them use my equipment. That's quid pro quo. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I, I had this discussion with uh, a lot of people when Trump was being uh, basically uh, absolutely lambasted for his call with the Ukrainians about this quid pro quo. And, you know, quid pro quos happen all the time. And you then would ask how that, what makes it unlawful? What makes it corruption? What makes it corruption when you're when the quid pro quo is something that uh, you're not allowed to do or you're peddling influence that you're not allowed to peddle? And here's where I'm going to flip this coin back to Norm and say, well, hold on a second, because what's the difference between this kind of quid pro quo and lobbying? Um, you know, people do this all the time, even at the localist of local levels. You're going to lobby or you're going to go to a um, to like the city of Westerville and talk to them about whether they should have tobacco. You're going to go to a, a local uh, community council, say, at Upper Arlington and talk about whether you want um uh, Macy's or the old Macy's store to be something uh, to be a Kroger next to a giant eagle, you know, and these things have all happened here locally in Central Ohio. And you know, if I donate to the person, if I donate to the person's campaign who's supporting my position, is that quid pro quo? I would say, well, sure it is, because I I, I want the person who agrees yeah. with me to be uh, the person in charge or to be a person on the council. Is it an uh, is it an unlawful quid pro quo? And that's where it gets a little dicey. So it's going to come down to things like, did they follow all the campaign finance rules? Did they? Uh, it, which I'm I've not read them recently, but I'm going to guess it is a convoluted mess. Uh, of regulatory craziness, um, and then was was everything disclosed and open the way it should be? And if it is not, that's going to imply one a violation of the of the regulatory scheme, which might be a problem in and of itself. But for the real corruption, they're looking for criminal intent. They're looking for bribery. I'm going to give you money to do something unlawful. And it, you know, if I'm householder, I'm saying, well, look, there's nothing unlawful about taking the position that I think we should bail these things out. Um, it might be unlawful if you're taking the position only because somebody paid funneled money to your personal accounts and you became very rich. So it's uh, it, it it seems obvious when the news presents it, but when you start breaking it down, you think, well, wait a minute, is this any different than me donating to uh, Biden's campaign? Right. Um, 
if I'm a if I'm a big company because look at big tech donations to uh, to the federal government and and then you know people always say well, it's always the politicians that are uh, or it's always the corporations that are uh, at fault and here they're flipping it it's like it's the it's the politicians at fault yeah so right. you know mm-hmm. it's like they're they're both complicit in this it takes two to tango and I always say just uh, uh, just separate the two you know get the government out of the out of the private business altogether and you don't have these problems yeah uh, so it's like the war on drugs. We never prosecute the drug user. We prosecute, you know, we prosecute the uh, drug peddler, and you know. Well, that's not necessarily true, but well, it's kind of it's, 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 it's kind of it, true. If it's, I, if it's a I, greater it, penalty to sell the New York, to use. The New York PD didn't go into Studio Fifty Four when people were snorting coke off the tables with cameras rolling, you know. Uh, but they go outside and you know and and take down a hustler who's selling the coke. You know, that's all I mean by that. And, in the you know, my comparison with uh, prostitution, I think, also applies. You almost never see the Johns getting prosecuted. And a lot of people would say the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing is all about suppressing the names of the Johns who engaged in, you know, statutory rape with these young girls. So, you know, there's lots of analogies we can draw, and I love everybody and all that stuff. But, yeah. but let me it let was, me just well, further describe who Larry Householder right. was or is. Uh, Larry Householder uh, was Speaker of the Ohio House uh, twice. He 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 was Speaker uh, back in the early 20s, and then became Speaker again for about four years before. He was voted out and kicked out altogether as a state rep because of this scandal. Um, He is the product, however, I have to say, and now this sounds like I'm defending him. I'm not. But he is the product of a decades-long regime of very similar behavior, or some people would say exactly the same behavior on the part of Stanley Aronoff and Vern Reif, who were both driven out of office by the Ohio Inspector General for violating campaign finance regulations. And some of the things that First Energy did in this particular case, uh, along with uh, Mr. Householder uh, and his co-defendant, were technical violations of the lobbying reporting laws, which actually, Steve, are pretty simple. They are pretty simple. Basically, it used to be you could buy somebody a lunch a couple times a year, didn't have to report that. Now, since the Vern Reif Aronoff scandals of 25, 30 years ago, um, now you, you, I mean, it's it's now been law for at least 15, 20 years since they passed all this um, uh, financial disclosure um, and lobbying, and they tightened up the lobbying things. Um, you, you could still take somebody out, uh, for lunch theoretically, but you're going to have to report it. Um, and you can only do it once or twice a year. So nobody does anything anymore. Right. Split the bills, everything. Mm-hmm. You got greens fees. I don't care. I, I'm buying gotta, this round. Nope. You got to buys their own. You, it, and you got to report it. You got to report every yep. single interaction involving money that you have with a politician, whether it's school board Township trustee, whatever the hell well, it is. Even deeper than that, I've represented folks who have been charged by the ethics board for bringing like poinsettias yep. to, uh, oh to the clerk of courts. Anything wow. of value. Yeah, you know, these. I mean, it's like yep. we used to give gifts to like the the staff at the court who really were helpful over the years, and yep. not to influence them, but just to say thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't do that anymore. So I know there was a local like uh, a local uh, attorney here would always bring poinsettias over to the courthouses and, and put them in all the judges' chambers at Christmas time. And uh, that is forbidden. Yep. Uh, just absolutely can't do it. Hmm. Uh, there is, uh, and, and you know, it, if I go give a, 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 like even chocolate bars, you know, my kids buy chocolate bars, even that stuff, people are shy away from it. What they're doing, like this is like anything else. Once you get down to the weeds of this, there's always alternative consequences that sort of ruin human interaction. You know, it's like. Yeah, it's chilling, like, a chilling effect almost. Yeah, so, exactly. so Larry Householder oh. observed this system in action where um, Vern Reif in particular would have what's called a birthday party out at the, um, gosh, it was on Stelter Road, but the, the Ohio Shrine something. Aladdin Shrine Aladdin Shrine Temple. Oh, yeah. My he God. Went, Aladdin Shrine Temple. Thank you. He rocked that place out? Holy he, cow. He, he had it's, a, a, it's a great venue. If you've it, ever been it, it, yeah. Then it's a lot of people in there. <laughs> so he would have a birthday party out there 
$500 a seat, not a table, a seat. Um, and it got so popular with lobbyists and PACs and, you know, everybody from school treasurers to school administrators to every local politician, every business in Ohio. It got so popular that you had to go, you know, genuflect, give your 500 bucks or buy a whole table. A lot of, a lot of big companies just bought, you know, two, three tables, you know, for 10,000 bucks each or whatever. Anyway, it got so popular and Vern was uh, Speaker of the House for so long that he ended up having a second birthday, the only human being on the planet with two birthdays per year. And uh, because there was an overflow of people who wanted to give him their 500 bucks per seat. Anyway, he, he took all this money. He took all this allegedly for his reelection, right? Well, he ran unopposed, right, from southern Ohio, rural area, very popular down there. And I met him a few times, genuinely a nice man. You know, you would they say that about Biden, right, and, and, yeah. and Obama and Clinton and Trump and all of them. You know, oh, he's a – well, they said it about Hitler. But anyway, uh, so – and I'm not comparing him. But <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, people say that about nefarious people all the time. So well, look, evil people can be nice. Exactly. You know, <laughs> they, they have their, they they have their moments. Right. Well, <laughs> most of them are actually mostly nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're like narcissists who, uh, right. who are very, very affable people and and I, until you get to know them. Right. Yeah. And I love them. I love them all. But at any rate, so, so well, Vern, God loves them all. <laughs> Vern, under the law back then, you could convert campaign contributions to your personal funds. It was legal at that time to get millions of dollars given to you, allegedly for your campaign. And then as long as you paid tax on it, you, it could become your personal money. Now, that is no longer true, but it was true at the time. And I am sure Mr. Householder, as a freshman member of the General Assembly, looked up at Vern. Vern was a Democrat. He's a Republican, but they both became speaker. And I'm sure he looked at that event and said, well, what the hell? Well, that's, how sure. all, that's, that's how things work here. God. I'm going to do it too. So I'm thinking... This is Norm's theory, got no inside, you know, information, but I'm thinking he looked at this graft and said, well, well, hell, he got his payday because Vern did convert that money to personal. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a scandal. None, none of it was reported correctly. Uh, you know, the bond company that set up those birthday parties was um, disabled from ever we're underwriting bonds in the state of Ohio again. Uh, you know, so so he and Stanley Aronoff, who was president of the Senate at the time, who also participated in this uh, McDonald and Company scandal, the bond company that, that put on these parties, they had to resign and agree as part of their plea deal, if you will, never to run for public office again. But they converted their millions of dollars into personal funds, and they got away with it. And if you go to downtown Cincinnati, which was where Larry Householder is being tried, there are two state buildings named after Stan Aronoff. Well, and there's right? a big one right here in the middle of Columbus, too, called the Vern Reif Tower. There you go. Right. It, so, right. like, these guys, like, they did it. Like, like they got away with so it. So this, right. this has always hmm. been my beef about politicians. How they become millionaires is, is beyond me. So if they come in as business uh, tycoons and already have money or inherited family money and then they want to be going to politics. I don't have any problem with that because they're already millionaires mm -hmm. and they can go invest and do whatever. Now then it gets dicey on what they can invest in while they're uh, politicking. But when people start as ordinary Joes like us <clears throat> or like we are, uh, then you have to ask, how did these people, how does Joe Biden become a millionaire? Right. How do, mm -hmm. how do these congressmen and, and women become millionaires? Right. How is, you know, and, and so like a good example is Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton. And, and Bill so, Clinton. so a Tyson lobbyist at the time gave her the maximum donation of $2,000, right? You might remember this. And he took it up to the Chicago mercantile, uh, exchange and said, Hillary, I'm giving you two thou, but I'm going to invest this for you. Right. Because people were wondering, well, how did Hillary get a hundred thou from Tyson when the limit was 2000? Well, what he did is he invested it. Now, I'm sure his, some of those investments 
were turkeys and he lost his money. But one of the investments in, I think, cattle futures, he turned 2000 bucks into a hundred grand and he gave the proceeds retroactively back to Hillary and said, but that 2000, that I'm not giving her a hundred thousand. Just two. I'm giving her, I'm giving her the proceeds on the 2000. Right. And I was her investment advisor on the other. So you're, you're, you're so right, Steve, there's all these cute games that have been played over the years and Hey, here we go. They're still yeah. playing. And, and, I, and I wouldn't take away from any politician that they go into politics to actually better themselves, that possibly it's a jumping off point to better their career. Sir, go, go into the private and that, sector and then all of a sudden that's cool. you get paid Seriously. 100 grand a, a because night. Of what no you, problem with that. Because of what you learned in government and how to relate, sure. what all that comes with it. You go into it. private business and you become Afterwards, a consultant, and et cetera. But no then you're still problem. Peddling, but you're still peddling the connections that you made. Because then you True. turn around, now, you, now you're on the other side doing it back. And so the only way to do it, there's, I see two solutions, either ban it all, ban it all, or permit it all. So what, what, well, what, yes. what house, yeah. it's like college football. So, pe- like, mm-hmm. so people, can't beat them, join them. Uh, yeah. so people understand the stakes here. What house bill six, the subject of this alleged bribery house bill six was a $1 billion um, set of incentives uh, abilities for First Energy to uh, back charge their rate payers, their their customers. You know, you're in a monopoly system. You know, they could say, well, uh, you know, we de- deregulated energy, but let's face it, for most people, if you're in Columbus, you you've, you're dealing with AEP. If you're in Cincinnati, you're dealing with Duke Energy mm-hmm. or, or whoever the hell. So, I mean, for most people, the practical outcome is you might be billed by some third party apparatus, but the energy lines where you actually get your electricity, it's a monopoly. So under this House Bill 6, um, normally in, in, in Ohio law, and in order to be charged, in order to charge your customers, if you're a utility, to charge your customers money to reimburse you for a physical plant, you know, like a waterworks, like a, a nuclear power plant, like a, a gas distribution hub for natural gas, et cetera, et cetera. In order to charge people in their electric bill money, you have to have that item be, be what the PUCO, Public Utilities Commission of Ohio, calls used, used, meaning past tense. It has been used in actual fact, not going to be used, but has been used and it is also useful. So you can't overbuild capacity and then and then charge people for it if it's not useful. So it has to be used and useful. That's the test. This bill, House Bill 6, overrode that and allowed decoupling of that theory from the billing. So now First Energy under that bill, which did pass, was later repealed because of the scandal, but it did pass under Larry Householder, signed by Governor DeWine within hours of its passage. So some people are questioning DeWine. Was he... Well, sure. You know, like, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. How much review did that get? Well, exactly. and also and also staff around. I mean, chief of staff knew that this first energy sure. ca- combo exactly. was a little sketchy. There yes. is no way. And he was reassigned. There's no yeah. way this was compartmentalized that nobody knew what was going on. Correct. I, I just can't buy it. Uh, me, I mean, it was me worth either. a billion dollars to this company. Yeah. That's why yeah. they spent a hundred million to get their billion. Right. Yes. Right. So they spent ten percent, roughly. So, uh, it, it, like, if you're representing you household, you're going to say, look, I was in support of this no matter what. It wasn't a quid pro quo. I just, I was, I was right. going to push this through no matter what because I think it was good for the, I, I was representing my constituents. It was good for Ohio. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do it. Steve, and that is a gorgeous thing that you just said because you, 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 you went right, you went right for the nail on the head there. So, in the aftermath of exposing this graft, if it is graft, if it's determined to be graft in this trial. It depends on the lens you're putting in front of you. Mm-hmm. They, the state legislature and Governor DeWine, repealed House Bill 6. And I'm with you. If it was a good idea, regardless of who's paying money to influence its passage, if it was a good idea, and the governor signed it at first, right? And then a couple of years later, when all this gets exposed, they repeal it. You, you would say, well, wait a minute, Gov. 
what, 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 hold on here. Oh, that's right. I mean, so, was this a good idea or wasn't it? Regardless right. of whether somebody... Or the better question is, why'd you sign it in the first place? Right. Exactly. Why'd you sign it in the first exactly. place? Because right. if the answer to that is it was good for the state of Ohio, then why'd you repeal it in the second place? So in the comments, mm-hmm. Steve, so I, I did a little deep dive. In the comments when it was repealed, the justification was, well, maybe it was a good idea, but we don't want the perpetrator of this graft to profit from their graft. But I'm saying... Well, well, Ohio's, what, the, Ohio's the beneficiary. Yeah, I'm or saying... Or it's not. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. It right. either was a good idea, yes, no, or it wasn't a good idea, regardless right. of, of the right. corruption. That's right. So yeah. Correct. Two, yeah. Both those things could be true at the same time. That's it, exactly. sure they can. It could be corrupt, and in a, in a different world without the corruption, we still would have voted on it. You yeah. know, it, it's like... This, and this is going to be the heart of householder's defense. This is why these things, and here's the other problem with this, um, and I get this from clients all the time, particularly white-collar defendants, and it, it's, it's not a defense, but it opens up a discussion for deeper thought, and that is, well, everybody's doing it. All right, fine. Everybody's doing it, so that doesn't mean you get to go break the rules, but it does cause us to question why they're coming at you and not them. And, you know, then you have this selective prosecution theories. You have the, this. Is it a political prosecution? Are somebody being targeted by the Justice Department of either the state, local or federal levels? Like what's really going on here? And, uh, you know, I'm not saying any of that happened here, but the whole thing stinks on both sides. It really does. It does. It mm-hmm. stinks on both sides. Right. The feds came in and you'd wonder why. Like you know, I, I like what what was the impetus for uh, the the uh, the private energy or the private plants folks or those corporations to actually come forward and do anything? What do they have on them? I mean, the whole thing stinks. Right. And when you get one of these cases, you have to unravel it top to bottom. So okay. so First Energy, in the aftermath of the repeal, had the refund to their ratepayers. I believe it was almost thirty million dollars that they had already started billing them under this scheme. So, um, you know, uh, first energy had to give back, you know, the, the, the portion of billings, uh, that, that they had earned by passing this legislation. Yep. Um, I just coincidentally last night, 4,000 of first energy, uh, customers, uh, were without power because of, uh, high winds <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in Northeast Ohio. I, tell you, I was driving home from Detroit last night and coming down through Toledo area. It was brutal. Yeah. That was a sheet of rain. Yeah. And then once that passed, the winds were really, really, uh, yeah, yeah this was in the Akron, Massillon, you know, oh, that yeah. area. Yeah. yeah. So it was, uh, <laughs> anyway. kind of a forewarning, yeah, right, right. <laughs> all hell's breaking loose. Folks. So anyway, what to watch in this trial, I'd be very curious to see the theory of the defense and most of the time you can see that outlined in opening statements so the defense will get up the prosecution will get up first and, and outline their case in opening statements and if you're the defendant you're going to say look this is all about how you look at this and they just happen to want to look at it this way we want to look at it this way yeah and mm-hmm. and you know this is one of those cases where i'm going to guess and i'm totally speculating but with like 27 years of experience i'm, I'm going to guess that uh i would not dispute a lot of the facts we agree, ladies and gentlemen, that a lot of this occurred. Now, we might disagree on some of the nuance of these facts, but you're not going to see us fighting over whether this document is what it is or that is what it is. But they want you to look at it this way. And now here's the problem. We want you to look at it this way. Now, here's their problem. They have to prove the case, and we start innocent. So they want you to overcome the presumption of innocence only because they want it their way. Yeah, doesn't happen that way, folks. Not in our system of justice. Yeah, I'd heard analysis yesterday, radio, talking about that they they thought the tactics would be the prosecution would make it very very clean for the jury to understand, or the defense would make it very very muddy to understand. Yeah, I don't buy that. And um, I, I and I kind of well, okay, yeah, I'm no, it's a complicated situation, but that yeah, is, is a, it kind of cut and dry anyway. That's a very uh, sort of cliche because it's six weeks viewpoint they're, of they're, criminal defense. Yeah, yeah. it's six weeks of jur- uh, they're calling. It's possibly six weeks. I can't imagine sitting in a box yeah. for six weeks. Yeah, the, the cliche of Jeez. criminal defense is they just try to muddy the waters and make it confusing yeah. and blah, blah, blah. I don't and think that works. I didn't quite get that yeah. idea. It's but, like watching a play that doesn't have a theme. You know, you, yeah. you can't, it, nobody watches after the first act. Right. It, it's boring and you don't pay attention and the defense doesn't work and guilty because what the hell else are we going to do? Oh, uh, let's get out of here. Right. I will, exactly. I will jump in just to talk politics here for a second. So um, it is shocking to me 
So I mentioned in my little monologue there, which I apologize, I went on a bit, but the facts. I, uh, I we need cut to you out. Know. You don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> so Larry Householder was Speaker of the Ohio House twice, I, as I mentioned, and the first time he, the first time he was Speaker, he was in a little hot water, and he had to resign as Speaker uh, the first go round uh, due to ethics irregularities involving reporting of campaign donations so he has a little bit of a track record and what is shocking to me is so he left he was no longer a state representative he went back to the private sector i think he sells insurance does a little bit of farming um in fact that i went to a fundraiser on behalf of one of my clients where governor rhodes was present for larry householder back when he was just a state rep and he offered a machine gun shoot. So this guy's always been, you know, kind of, um, I don't want to say kooky, but he's always been, let's say, novel in his approach to politics. I mean, because that ticked off all the assault weapon grabber people, right? That the the guy who wants to become speaker in his first go round is putting on a machine gun shoot. It's got Governor Rhodes, old Governor Rhodes was there. He died like within months of that appearance. But anyway, the thing is, how could the so you're just thinking you're the you're sitting there in the General Assembly. You're one of, say, 60 or 65 Republican members of the House. And this guy's name is floated to be speaker a second time. And that's when all this stuff started to happen. Right. And you're like, why would they elect that guy? Why? Right or wrong, good or bad guy, true or false. Why would you re? Why would you reappoint to the speakership for a second go round? Somebody who has all this baggage. It was an incredible political mistake, and there's blood all over the floor. And I have to agree with Dale Butlin, who is a speaker for the Ohio Democratic Party. And as everybody here knows, I'm a very cons- I'm to the right of Attila the Hun, right? I have to agree with Dale Butlin that I am shocked, just as he was shocked, that in this past election, the Republican House picked up more seats. You would think that the voters would have punished these people, right, for their misbehavior or their Nobody alleged misbehavior. This, this is old but it just news. shows you how distracted people are. This, yeah. is, this is old news. Like I, when, like, I, and I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be completely honest. I saw, Brett, you sent an email the other day. Said, I assume we're going to talk about householder, mm-hmm. and um, oh god, here we go. We're t- talking show prep now. So believe it or not, we <laughs> a little actually, bit. Believe it or not, we yeah. actually do a little prep here. Right, right. And uh, so I wanted to go read up on. I was like, householder, householder. What is that story? It took me a second to remember uh-huh. what the hell was going on. Well, it was two and a half years ago, and it's like that they shut him old, down. This is an old, distant memory. Nobody cares anymore. Yeah. You know, it just is. Uh, it's yeah. so amazing how the news well, cycle works. But, but I also think there's some nuance that if it's got a D in front of it, I'm not going to vote for that person. If it's an R in front of it, I'm not going to vote for that person. And well, I think were, the yes. closed-mindedness of how we vote is deadly. And, and, and it's think, showing now. I think there's a, but the corollary to that is the closed-mindedness of the D's and R's to toe their line, even if they don't agree with it, has both have contributed to each other. I don't know if mm-hmm. we got a chicken or an egg, but so if you if you if you say, look, I'm going to vote, I'm a Democrat, but I disagree with this platform on a certain issue. Then you're stuck. You're you're yeah. you're pigeonholed. You don't break rank. Exactly. And same thing on the Republicans. Yes. So voters have then followed suit, and it may be that the voters caused them to fall in step, or they cause us to fall in step. Well, but that's what's happening. We now have a split in the Republican House now, and it could very well be this is a large element of the fallout. Yeah. Could right. Be. Who else? It could be. Who else may have taken some money? Right, oh, who's still uh, yeah. in all, well, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Exactly. Sure, and that's, exactly. uh, but Householder's not cut a deal, and he's not come in, and he's not yeah. offering information. So you know, or what at least a, I, I don't yeah. think he has. What a perfect name for a guy who's accused of a scandal in the house. Yeah, house, hold the whole he Householder. Wants to hold the household. Household. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's a big deal. Watch it. We'll, yeah. we'll pay attention. And just to show you that there's more scandal uh, and not shocking, uh, you know, that there is in the state of Ohio, but it came out uh, just this week. Um, that state and federal investigators are looking into a $10 million theft 
by state employees at the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. Uh, state employees uh, are, uh, are thought to be behind uh, a missing $10 million dollars uh, along with their contractors, their families, and their friends. Uh, they haven't named names. They haven't indicted anybody, but um, the uh, they're under the gun. And of course, this occurred under Governor DeWine. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this... this is, is there a theory on how they did it? That they're not talking. It, it sounds to me, what I did read is that there was internet traffic going on late at night into the Ohio uh, Job and Family Services uh, computers by contractors to that department. Oh, so this is like a sophisticated theft. Oh, this is sophisticated theft, right, involving some kind of uh, disbursement, you know, credentials, something. Uh, I got to tell you. Yeah. You know, I I, I just went through this here in the building. We have, as attorneys, in... You know, some of this is uh, you catch up with the times a little bit, but I went through a bunch of seminars. We have to do continuing legal education, and then I had to revamp, and this is here in Ohio. Um, as lawyers, not all states have this, but I have to go get 24 hours every two years of continuing legal education, and most of it is like, uh, i got to listen to people tell me what I already know. Uh, if I needed to know this, I would look it up. Uh, so this year I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go learn some tech. I'm 52 years old. I'm going to do all tech for attorneys. Okay. And uh, what I learned is that I have, I wasn't meeting reasonable security standards for cyber attacks. Not even close. And I admit it. Now I am because I hired our IT guy, yours and mine, Norm. Mm-hmm. And he came in here and he completely, totally co- and updated me. And I, and I asked him, I said, look, because w- the, the standard for attorneys in Ohio from an ethics standpoint, so if client data is breached, I have to be able to say that I used all reasonable and uh, and what would be acceptable standards in the industry. So I upgraded my hardware, upgraded my software, upgraded all the encryption. I don't share files by email anymore. I, you know, everything I do is all sort of uh, is up to snuff. It doesn't mean I still couldn't be attacked, but I asked I asked uh, my IT guy, what else can I do? And he said, well, you can do a penetration test. That was a penetration test. That sounds like a trial right That's there. What I said, that sounds like my kind of work. <laughs> and he, uh, and he, uh, right. And he goes, well, you pay an outside hacker firm to try to hack into you and, right. and tell you where oh, your wow. weaknesses are. A white, a white hat uh, hacker. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you would wonder here, white. if I'm the state of Ohio and I am cramming down this kind of obligation on my one-man operation, my law firm, which is you know now, now just I. I had some associates at the time, but in many it's five lawyers. It's just right now, and I'll build it back up. But it's like if they're going to cram that down on me, because this cost me a lot of dollars. I mean, we're talking a lot of dollars for me. Oh, sure. So the state of Ohio is susceptible to something like this. And you're going to say, well, it's the insiders. It's like, no, it's not. Because you shouldn't have internet traffic at midnight. And you certainly shouldn't be able to have internet traffic at midnight without somebody detecting it before it happens yeah. or at, in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if, if this kind of traffic isn't normal, then the systems, I would argue, should stop it or at least flag it. Or, or it did work. Or it did, and they it, caught him. But and the they, money's sure, already gone. I can tell from what I'm hearing, the money's already gone. So mm-hmm. then they go back and investigate. So well, they they may have monitored the crime to let it happen, so that they can convict. I mean, uh, it, it could well be. then, that, see, I doubt that. I doubt that. Well, like yeah. a sting, if, like they did. If the to, money's gone. The money's gone. Like they did to Delorean, the FBI setting up. Uh, John, well, I was going to yeah. say. Well, then yeah. you end up with this entrapment thing, but it's yeah. not entrapment if if people are actually trying to penetrate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the the I I do not think that's what happened. I'm just saying it wouldn't be the first time that law enforcement observed a crime, let it go down, and then went after him. Uh, no, that would not be the first. It happens in drug cases all the time. All the time. Right, right all the time. But this is a little bit different. You're talking about stealing $10 million. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, until somebody hits click, right, it didn't happen. So they might have been alerted by some kind of firewall system. Who knows? We'll find Who out knows? the fact. My guess right. is somebody snitched. Yeah, yeah, we'll find out. Damn. Somebody snitched. Yeah, it might have been yeah. you know, a tax return thing. You know, and mm-hmm. Al Capone. Yeah. Right? You know. Well, there was a long time that folks. Hey, wait a minute! You you you're reporting a million dollars, but you make sixty five thousand down there at the at the office tower. Right? How's hey, that happen? How's that happen? Yeah. Well, I wanted to obey the law. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was a time we'd go down. The guys would go down to the courthouse and uh, mine the microfish for old court docs, and the old court docs always had full socials. 
and they would take identities and file tax. There was a whole scam wow. going on for the longest wow. time. They'd take identities, file tax returns that were fake, and take the refunds. Well, you know what? Because I, I hold my tax, speaking of the social numbers floating out there, because I, I mean, I'll hold my, my paperwork for 10 years, which you're supposed to do for taxes and stuff like yeah. that, and folders. So I'm going through folders last year, I guess it was, looking back 10 years, and I'm looking at bank statements and everything's like social numbers all over the place. All over the place. Just yeah. 10 years ago, yeah. yeah, we had that stuff floating around, and now yeah. it's like, I'm looking at it going, holy shit. Well, I still fill out forms of court on behalf of clients where the forms that are getting filed in a public file are asking for social securities. I don't do it. I mean, wow. I'll put the last four sometimes. Sometimes I'll just put XXXXX. Yeah. It's like they don't need a damn social security they don't need, in a no. form. Exactly. In a, in a driving privilege form. They don't need a social. Uh, yeah. Right. All they need is a driver's license. Like, though, like it's a, bad enough. Like as a 10-year-old form, like, oh, I forgot to update it. We don't need that anymore. It's like, when right. did you ever really need that? And, and here's, what's, here's what's funny. <laughs> Nobody's ever called me for not having a social down there, ever. Uh No court has ever said, oh, Mr. Palmer, we noticed you didn't put your client's full social down on this form that we're filing in a public record. We need that. It's freaking absurd. Uh Yeah. And if they just happen to give it to us, well, great, we've got more information no, no, on it's them. Like, it's like, it's just, yeah. it's absurd. That, that digital footprint per se or something. There's yeah. a, wow. I will not be constrained by your form, sir. <laughs> exactly. There's a, a, a pretty big brouhaha going on, and it made Fox and Friends, as, as we all know, as a national program in the morning, um, involving Upper Arlington Schools in Groveport, Madison, uh, I don't know if you guys heard this. I, I guess it just happened uh, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, where the early, early portion of Fox and Friends, I think it's called Fox and Friends First. So it's uh, it's their super early version of that program. Uh, but they had on um, Accuracy and Media, which is, you know, one of these organizations that likes to if you will, do a little bit of um, uh, videotaping of people when they don't know it and, uh, you know, like surprise. So they interviewed uh, about the CRT uh, syllabus that's being used at these two schools uh, under the aegis of diversity, equity, and inclusion, Okay, where they have administrators in charge of those subjects and accuracy and media set up conversations where they posed as uh, potential parents going to enroll their kids in these public schools. And they wanted to go find out about their diversity programs. And they got both school districts uh, administrators on the record as saying that if the state board of education or the house or the governor or whoever were to ban CRT as subject matter in Ohio schools, they would trick, and this is in quote, this is a direct quote, they would trick the parents uh, and bypass those bans by using extracurricular activities, programs, uh, rebranding, calling it something else, that they would continue in spite of a putative ban on CRT. They would do it anyway, and they would trick the parents and not tell them that they're continuing the CRT training. So Upper Arlington and Groveport Madison responded to these uh, video clips that were put on TV and said they, they didn't say it was untrue. What they complained about was the fact that they were, you know, ambushed. And this this drives me bananas. Drives hmm. me bananas too. It's like uh, some where else did this just occur? This just occurred in a different. Uh, it did right in a different setting in California, I, all over the place. No, no, no. There was like uh, there, somebody's complaining about the ambush as opposed to the fact that they got exposed. Exactly right. And yeah, it, yeah. it's so um, yeah. right, right. Like you didn't fight fair, but I'm not going to disagree with the with the content of what our administrator told the parents. You know the uh, people posing as parents. So I'm not going to dispute that we wouldn't do that, trick the parents. But, you know, the way they found the way they did this, you know, kind of like the abortion clinics were complaining, you know, that uh, that on the child organ um, harvesting uh, that, you know, that conversation was bogus because they, they didn't know they were on camera, but they didn't disagree with the content. 
Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. So I did all this, but you're you, you shouldn't have exposed me. You're mean, right? You how dare you expose me and out me like this? Right. You know, it's like I I I uh, this stuff. You know, you mm-hmm. know what this this came up in uh, Planned Parenthood when they got uh, they got caught. Yeah, peddling baby organs. Exactly right. Um, that yeah. guy, they got caught doing mm-hmm. that, and they're like. The, in, in fact, the people that caught him, the private group that caught him, got prosecuted for it. Yes, they did. Exactly. And, uh, and this is, uh, you, you know, it's insane. Right, but well, it's, like, if 60 Minutes did it, no they, problem, right? Oh, well, they'd probably yeah, get an yeah. Emmy. Or, or, well, it depends on what they're exposing. Exactly. Yeah. Right, so this is... Yeah, did, did it say why those two schools were targeted? Or I just have, just pick a I couple have, schools? And I do, no I'm just idea. curious. He, you know, the genesis of the story. My you know? guess yeah. is they... It's a good question because you would want to know why why, why? those schools it, or did they pick many schools and they're the ones that just got possibly yeah. yeah exactly yeah, yeah because that's because their schools Probably. are in our backyard right. specifically how dare they look at an Ohio school but, but it's, it's like why it's a good question yeah. statistically though because right. people will say this is going on everywhere but the story doesn't include whether they targeted other schools and they didn't get a similar nefarious response. Right. So you couldn't conclude that this is going on everywhere. You can only conclude from this statistically it's happening in those two places. Exactly right. Yeah. Right. But right. they may have, to your point, they may have gone to 50 school districts and these are the only two, these that, the only two. Yeah. That, that cop to it. Yeah, this is my, uh, yeah. you know, this is like when I was, uh, as, a, as a parent, like it's, the kids never complain about... Uh, getting ice cream or going to the movies they just complain like all we did all weekend was work all we did was clean mm-hmm. floors and we had to clean our rooms and, and mop the floors and do the bathrooms and it's like well they didn't tell you that we also went to see star wars and we went to get ice cream afterwards we went to dinner at five right. Rockers or whatever the hell it is and then right. uh, right. you know the people only complain about the bad stuff when there's an overwhelming amount of good stuff also so right. let me jump into a, a really hot criminal case here steve which I, I think th- this is an epic case. So everybody in Cincinnati knows about this case. It involves a um, a felon, a convicted felon who's been on death row for 27 years in Ohio, 27 years, who was granted a new trial um, after 27 years because the allegation is that the police and the uh, prosecutors withheld some information relating to his possible defense. He was released on a $50,000 bond, unsecured, ankle bracelet, uh, despite, okay, this this is a sidebar thing, but Steve and I had a lively discussion about Ohio's Constitution says that if you are, the exact words, the exact words are, if, um, where proof is evident or the presumption is great that capital people charged with capital crimes are not to get bail. Okay. And, and it's, so I don't want to revisit that discussion, but one of the, the prosecutor, prosecutors are having a fit that this guy who was on death row is now out uh, on $50,000 unsecured bond, but be, th- th- that's a side issue. The thing that's really interesting about this case is over the last 27 years while he's been on death row, Mr. Elwood Jones um, said to have beat to death a 67-year-old woman who was in Cincinnati from New Jersey uh, visiting a friend to attend a bar mitzvah over Labor Day weekend back in 1994. He is alleged he was a worker at the Embassy Suites Hotel where she was staying, People, there were three people in the room. Two left to go to breakfast in the morning down the brunch. She stayed in the room. And the, the working theory of the prosecution is he, as a hotel employee, observed two people leave the room and figured it was empty. He, he was found in his toolbox to have a master key. Not a surprise. He worked at the hotel. But he also had some of her jewelry in a toolbox. And you know, in the trunk of his car, subject to a warrant search. So the prosecution has some evidence. Uh, His shoe uh, that he was wearing fit the bruise pattern uh, on her chest where he allegedly stomped her to death. Yeah, that evidence is bullshit, but keep going. But go ahead. Mm -hmm. So so, so I'm just saying they had some evidence. Uh, Also, 
his infection on a hand, which was sliced, his left hand, which was sliced open, had the same germs in it as were in her mouth. And there was testimony. It was a very odd infection and and that particular germ could only you know the, that sounds questionable too but keep going yeah no hey, look, listen, it, it was evidence I'm, in a trust circumstantial I'm, evidence i'm not trust. i'm not retrying the case here it, it, i'm just saying i, I just can't help myself it's i know you i know it, 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 but what's interesting is prosecutors claim that 10 separate courts over the 27 years have reviewed and upheld his conviction and the sentence uh, so at any rate this will be rather epic because during the pendency, for example, the cop who did the warrant search of his trunk and found in the toolbox her necklace, right? He died of cancer several years. So, I mean, I don't really understand how the Hamley County prosecutors are going to even be able to stage a trial at hmm. this point. Well, there are just, missing, there are people are dead. But there was testimony before. They can. There's there's ways to get that admissible in evidence. Yeah, go, go yeah. Steve. You're, 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 so you're, the, you're the fact that he's counsel. out on bond is so not I just a, I just want our guests to know, uh, Mr. Palmer here, right? He has defended people in homicide cases. So like Many times. He, yeah, yeah, so he's, it, it, we're not talking about a guy who gets you out of a speeding ticket or a DUI only. Uh, Mr. Palmer here, the gentleman that we do this podcast with, I mean, this guy has defended murder, uh, you know, full blown. Yeah. So go, aggravated murder. Go trials, yeah. But people need to know your credentials. Yeah. Well, my credentials are I've been defending people charged with crimes for 27 years and, and a lot of them are very serious crimes. I've tried a lot of murder cases like this one. And uh, I guess I here here's the thing underlying this reversal, which is what it is, is a very significant fact. Like you said, well, the prosecutor apparently failed to give up some evidence. This, So this is called Brady versus Maryland, and it requires, and this is the United States Supreme Court, that requires the prosecution, the state of Ohio, to turn over exculpatory information, that is information helpful to the defense that they have or have access to in their possession. And this is back in a day when we had something called what I'll, what I'll just call closed discovery. For instance, before this trial, the defense attorneys did not have any witness statements. So if the witnesses talked to the police and said, here's what I saw, here's what happened, here's what it was, I wouldn't have had access to that before trial. I would have ac- I would have only had access to that after that witness testified at sidebar trying to read their, read their prior statement and learn everything I could about it. In order to defend the case then, I would have had to pay and or interview myself all these witnesses and hope that I was able to do it. Um, so the defense back in this day was at a huge disadvantage. That has now changed. Um, open discovery became a thing, I don't know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, whatever it was. And uh, so now I would get those witness statements, and that would lead me to usually that gives you, it's like, hold on a second. This person said they were at this street, but it was really over here. Like you can really parse it apart. And prosecutors would have had to give that statement up if it contained helpful information, but they're going to look at it and say, uh, I don't think that would really help the defense, so I'm not going to give it to them and stick it in their files. Like prosecutors are going to err on their own side, not on the defense <laughs> side. It happens all the time. And then there's more sinister stuff where prosecutors just flat out bury evidence. This happens a lot. Or I've had prosecutors who got a bad or an adverse expert opinion, say, about like a bootmark bruise, which is bullshit evidence, total bullshit. Um, it's like there's like I I don't know this to be a fact, but I've I've got a hunch that that is um that is junk science. There was also mm-hmm. just to augment that particular bruise. There was a second bruise that was square, and Mr. Elwood, as part of his job, carried a walkie-talkie, and apparently it matched the base of that walkie-talkie. Yeah, that could be. Dude, but I'm just a lot of that's junk science too. All I'm doing but, is no, no, no. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, it's standing so, evidence. So, Steve uh, and, and Brett, this case, should you want to, you know, further, and or our listeners, um, USA Today and the Cincinnati Enquirer have done podcasts uh, on this case. I think a seven or eight part podcast. This is a very high profile hmm, case. Sure, just so because you guys it's a reversal, know. And, yeah. and it may be that the guy's guilty. It might yeah. be. But you have to make sure it's done right. And it wouldn't surprise me. I've had cases where prosecutors have talked to multiple experts and only one expert told them what they wanted to hear and they didn't disclose to me all what all the other experts said. You know, you can't, that's the kind of crap, that's the kind of gamesmanship that the, the adversarial system creates because you want to win. And the prosecutor's job is to seek justice, not just win. And and so here, look, I, I, don't, I don't know what evidence was withheld. 
I, I don't know. I don't either. But it's a huge freaking deal. And if, hmm. if, if some court now said evidence was withheld and reversed it, that means it was something. It, that means all those other courts looked at this and said, nah, we don't think it's a big deal. Let me throw this at you, Steve. Th- this might answer your question. This, this might get the hairs uh, raised on the, on the, you know, on your head that, that like maybe you got it figured. So they did not arrest and charge him, uh, for a year. And the explanation was yet at trial, the evidence they used on him was collected within two weeks. And so people are asking, well, why did you, what did you do in the prosecutor? Like, what were the cops? Yeah, what happened? The, what, what was that year all about? And, and their answer has been that we sent out for laboratory tests and, you know, other kinds of probably DNA, whatever, that they did some sort of check with, with all these other laboratories and, and, and it all came back. I guess snake eyes because they didn't use anything. So that's the thing, right? So so, so now you're thinking. We want right? to test DNA. Yeah. So we sent it out for DNA testing. It didn't help us, so we didn't yeah. use it. We yeah. wanted to test for fingerprints. It comes back negative for fingerprints, so we didn't use it. We want to test for mm-hmm. um, what enzymes or whatever the hell this germ right, thing right, was, and right, it comes right, back right. we didn't use it. Right. So there's this huge delay, exactly. and then they go to trial, and you're like, well, don't you understand that everything that came back that suggested or that that did not confirm what you wanted it to confirm becomes exculpatory evidence. That is stuff that if I'm trying the case, I'm be like, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, they tried to do this, 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 mm-hmm. and this. And when I had that detective on the stand, I would say the reason you did that, the reason you sent that out to be tested is because you wanted to know if that helped your case. And if it helped your case, you would have brought it into this courtroom in your briefcase and told these ladies and gentlemen of the jury about it. Would you not have? Yes. And do you not understand, detective, how the opposite is also true? That if it doesn't help your case, that these folks ought to know that there is evidence out there that would have corroborated this but didn't. Yeah. Don't you think they would want to know that, Detective right. Schmo? So, so yeah. th- that right there may be some of the basis. I would have a blast. I love it. That's my but, that's my but, specialty. But, but there is there is there a timeline? I mean, so what if it was a year until? Doesn't matter if it's a year. Yeah. Uh, okay. Matter if, yeah. Well, unless there's unless the the delay is bad faith, because then what yeah. happens is you or have, he's held for a year without or something. Yeah, so you I'm know, I'm sure he was held. I'm sure he was held for that year. But something. look, having a murder trial drag for a year before trial is not unusual. There's a lot that has That's to be not done. Figured. Um, and but on the other hand, sometimes pre or pre indictment delay becomes a constitutional problem because mm-hmm. if prosecutors are dragging their heels and doing nothing, and the investigation <clears throat> is not active. It can prejudice the defense because things like witnesses disappear. Things like, you know, say say the star defense witness in that year. I've had like five year delays before, and it's like, well, look, now you're indicting this guy. I had this witness nailed down in mm-hmm. five years ago, but now he's gone or he's right. dead. Well, or, or the, the, the guy, yeah, would whatever it, he could have been. He had a job. He lost a job because. Well, they don't uh, care about that. I know, but I'm just saying, yeah, you know, they, it's, they it's a loss, loss of income and, he, and such, too. Yeah, You can't use this at trial, right, Steve? But he had, just as a matter of fact, uh, the articles and podcasts that I listened to and, and read, he, he had an extensive rap sheet for theft. So, mm-hmm. and, and his, his MO was when people left their house or left a business, that's when he went in. And, yeah. he, and, and he, he, he didn't beat people up. But the theory being... He went in this lady's room. Oh my God! There right, she is. Got surprised. She was yeah. naked in the shower. I guess when they found her, and then he beat her to death because yeah. I mean, she was look, going to ID. Very likely him. theory, and it very well may be that the guy is factually guilty. Yes, but, exactly right. But there's difference between factual guilt and being right. able to prove it. And being able to doubt. prove, of course, yeah. of that. Yeah. And if, if this right. guy got convicted and the trial wasn't fair, anybody who says that we shouldn't redo it is ignorant of the fact that it could happen to you mm-hmm. what what militates when you're innocent what militates against that th- that i i i'm struck by is if the prosecutors are correct i i i mad, they wouldn't say this i don't think unless it was true is that st- 10 appellate or subsequent courts reviewed this case and upheld it yeah that happens all the time. I mean, Jim, I've got a Christmas. case right now in 27 on, on years on on death row on appeal i'm working on a case incredible I, I have i have very little doubt that this guy is innocent and i mean factually innocent i don't say that very often i mean right it, it, it's 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 frankly, your job to defend it's, it's, guilty it's irrelevant people. it's irrelevant of course, mm-hmm. yeah, almost always. Sure. um but i just wrote a brief and what was fascinating to me is that it, it's it's the prosecutor's uh 
complete, utter inability to recognize anything inconsistent with guilt after the conviction. It is, it is fast. It's a fascinating uh, example of human psychology. And this is what Barry Sheck called the case of the unindicted co-ejaculator, right? There was a DNA evidence. There was a DNA case that exonerated um, some, a rapist. And the prosecutor's response was not that, oh, shoot, we got the wrong guy. The prosecutor's response was, well, there must have been a co-defendant also who ejaculated, but this guy's still guilty. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like mm-hmm. this is it's because nobody wants to admit they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think nobody wants to admit they're wrong here in this kind of situation because the consequences of being wrong are almost impossible to, to, to consider. It's like to, to it's like looking under a blanket and you don't want to know it's there because if you convicted the wrong guy and this guy is innocent, you have to live with that. I mean, it's almost an impossible thing to even consider. It's a blind eye that you don't even know you're turning. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, there is, there is in human psychology, I think, an understandable impulse which can often create terrible unfairness. I mean, who was the Arizona uh, NFL player? Oh, gosh, it's on the tip of my – that was killed in combat. And the oh, and yeah, yeah, Tillman, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tillman, 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 Pat Tillman, Tillman, Tillman. Where, where, where the DOD, right, Petraeus and other generals, did not want to further hurt the family. So they made up a story yeah. that he was killed in combat with the enemy when it was it friendly was, fire. It was friendly fire. It was an accident. Right. Right. There's a, like a Denzel Washington movie is, is a great example of that. Exactly. Yeah. But well, the, then they had an affair. And so you've got there. a prosecutor here. You got you got a Jewish lady in town for a bar mitzvah from New Jersey, and she's much loved, you know, she's got her kids. It's she, a terrible tragedy, right? right on every and, and so there's an impulse there, right? She's beaten to death, she's nude, and she's in town for a celebration. That very day, the the rabbi and the, and the family of the, the bar mitzvah candidate had to decide, do we go forward with the bar mitzvah? Don't we? You know, like all Awful. of it. So, so all of these emotions, right? And you got the Blue Ash uh, Police Department and Hamilton, Hamilton County prosecutors. They want to find this perp, right? So, you know, like good hearts can lead to really bad outcomes. Which is why if we this have. guy is innocent, it is a horrible miscarriage of justice. Right. And right. so in 1215, people typically go back to 1215 and the signing of the Magna Carta that in theory is the origin of jury trials. And actually, I think historically it's not the precise origin. But at any well, rate... Well, no. I mean, the Greeks had trials. And, well, I'm talking jury of your peers. So yeah. it, this is like... Uh, like Socrates. This is why we have juries of our peers. I just did a focus group up in Michigan and I had this talk with a bunch of younger... There a lot of students in, in the focus group. And I was like, this is what makes our country great. And I could see the eyes roll. I'm like, no, you don't understand. In a different country, you don't get a trial like this. You folks would not get input on the outcome of these facts. You would have a bunch of stuffy ass, stiff shirts who men, women, I don't care what their gender or whatever it is, who who intellectually think they know better. In some cases or in some jurisdictions, the prosecutor is also the judge. You know, it's like we have to have an independent assessment of the facts. Well, and and, and we get the presumption of innocence. We get to be presumed innocent. If you're in, so so the Dreyfus affair, right? You know, when when they sent the poor guy to Devil's Island, the French uh, soldier, the presumption is you're guilty mm-hmm. when you're charged. Mm-hmm. And you have to, as a uh, defendant... Using only the evidence they give you. you and you have mm-hmm. to prove yourself innocent. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I mean, I, like, so, our yeah. Supreme Court has has declared, like, cross-examination is the greatest legal engine ever invented for the discovery of the truth. We have things like compulsory process, where we get to subpoena witnesses to bring evidence into a courtroom. I'm doing it in a case right now. We get to cross-examine. We get to subpoena. We get to m- rely on the prosecutor's burden of proof. We don't have to testify against ourselves if we want. And and when those rights are violated, even though you are sure the guy is guilty, you have to go back and take a second look. Yeah. You have right. to do it. All right. Mm. All right. Well, we got. Uh, we cool. probably should wrap it up. We got... Uh, yeah, we're we're an hour in, and I I'll just I'll confess I got to get to court. <laughs> but, uh, but look, uh, this is a good episode. Uh, let me throw th- uh, three little we'll factual nuggets. Here well, we go. Just, just just three little things. So uh, J D Vance, new senator from Ohio, he's all over the Ukraine hundred billion dollar. Wants to know where that money's been. Boondoggle. So, so he's he's on it like a bulldog. Uh, in front of the state medical board right now here in Ohio. Uh, uh, marijuana advocates are pushing for 
uh, treatment for autism to be authorized uh, as a legitimate use. Good. That's interesting. Um, a, Good. a bill uh, last session, a bill passed the Ohio House, did not get through to the Senate or Governor DeWine, but the House passed a bill authorizing marijuana as a treatment for autism. So we think this session that probably will happen. I'm not an advocate for or against. I don't know anything about marijuana, but you know, that's newsworthy. Also a Senator Matt Dolan, which voters in Ohio might remember, he was, he competed for against JD Vance to face uh, Tim Ryan in that Senate race uh, to uh, that uh, Rob Portman had resigned and and of course, J.D. Vance got elected. He's now thrown his hat in the ring to face the other U.S. Senator, Sherrod Brown, um, in 2024. So uh, he's the current owner of the Guardians, correct? He, or used on the, and he's the, a current state senator. Okay. Yes, okay. he is. He is That's that guy. The Guardians, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's that guy. Cleveland yep. Indians, basically. Yeah, pretty yes, competent. Exactly. I I heard him in some of the debates. Pretty competent guy. Good. Yeah, Good. I thought J.D. Vance. Good. It was questionable whether he was going to win the prelim on that. Yeah, he this Matt Dolan guy barely lost that nomination. Yeah, that was he came in third. Close. But I mean, if you remember Vance, the businessman from uh, from Cleveland, can't think of his name. And uh, Matt Dolan, like like the three of them are right there. Yeah, I, and I don't know anything about Dolan other than what you've said. But not yeah. much either. Yeah, so yeah. it'd be interesting to watch that yep. one. Yep. Cool. That's all I got. All right. Well, cool. So uh, we are here at the Common Sense Ohio Show dot com. So the Common Sense Ohio Show dot com coming at you from the round table of five eleven studios, bringing you Ohio news, Ohio commentary, and nobody else is doing this. Not like we are. I promise. I've looked, and it's not there. Nobody else has Norm, nobody else has Brett, and nobody else has yours truly to really talk about things from a common sense standpoint. If you want a topic discussed, go to commonsenseohioshow.com. Want to be a sponsor, check it out there too. Uh, subscribe. We appreciate it. And uh, I guess here we are at Common Sense Ohio coming at you right from the middle, at least until now.